It is the best-selling book in history. No volume ever written has been more loved and quoted. And its words, sometimes simple and sometimes mysterious, should always be studied carefully. It is the Bible, the Word of God. Welcome to Bible Answers Live, providing accurate and practical answers to all your Bible questions. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. To receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this broadcast, call 800-835-6747. Once again, that's 800-835-6747. Now, here's your host from Amazing Facts International, Pastor Doug Batchelor. Hello, friends. Would you like to hear an amazing fact? Bruce Gordon was a sailor who left Aberdeen, Scotland in 1757 on board of a whaler called the Anne Forbes. The ship, led by a drunken captain, was smashed between two icebergs in the Arctic, somewhere between Greenland and North Cape. Tossed from the ship just before it capsized, Gordon was the only survivor. The capsized ship became locked in the ice, but Gordon was able to carve into the ship that was overturned to access many of the supplies and to create a makeshift shelter. With coal from the ship's hold, he was able to build a fire to protect himself from the freezing weather. Not long after, he was attacked by a hungry female polar bear that, incredibly, he was able to kill with a large knife strapped to a stick. That's when he spotted the small female polar bear cub looking for its mother. Gordon took pity on her and decided to keep her. Naming her Nancy, he fed the young cub with whale blubber and eventually taught her to fish for him and defend him from other bears. Gordon and Nancy survived six years living in the upside-down ship as it drifted locked in the Arctic ice. Eventually, Gordon's ice flow drifted into the northern coast of Greenland and he met a tribe of natives. Gordon, with the polar bear, lived with the villagers for several months. But in time, Nancy began to long for bear companionship, and she disappeared into the wild. Desperate for rescue, Gordon paddled a canoe out to sea and eventually flagged down a ship from Amsterdam and was taken aboard. Altogether, his odyssey on the ice lasted for seven years and one month. So what gave Bruce Gordon the courage to survive his ordeal? He had a pocket Old Testament his mother had given him which he read through several times while marooned on the ice. Friends, you know the Bible still provides courage for tough times. Stay with us. We're going to learn more on this edition of Bible Answers Live. You're listening to Bible Answers Live, accurate and practical answers to your Bible questions. Welcome, listening friends. If you'd like to call in with a question, that's why we're here. We want to do our best to answer your questions about the Word of God, or living the Christian life. The number into the studio is 800-463-7297. That's 800-GOD-SAYS. We're also streaming this program. If you want to watch and see what's happening, you can go to the Amazing Facts Facebook page or the Doug Batchelor Facebook page, and you can see what's happening here in our little studio. And uh, you can call us with your Bible questions from anywhere in the world. That number again, 800 463 Nine seven. That's eight hundred. God says. Anyway, hi, Pastor Ross. How you doing? Hello, Pastor Doug. And good evening, friends. Uh, before we get started with our program, let's start with prayer. 
Dear Father, we thank you that we're able to uh, take a few moments this evening and open up your word and study together. And we always ask your blessing upon our time together. We know the Bible is your book, and so we want the Holy Spirit to guide us as we search the Bible for answers. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Pastor Doug, before they, we went on the air this evening, we were talking about this amazing fact, this uh, Scotsman Gordon who ended up spending a total of uh, more than seven years, uh, six of which uh, was on the ice in this upturned boat companionship with a, a bear, a grizzly bear, no, well, a polar bear, polar bear yeah. that um, <laughs> they seemed to build quite a relationship where the polar bear would even go fish and, and bring him fresh fish. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Incredible. He, he's, it's an amazing story. You know, until uh, a few weeks ago when I found this fact, I'd never heard that before. And uh, I thought I heard all these amazing adventure stories. And he taught the bear to obey his commands. It answered to its name. He, he taught the bear to walk in two feet. They walk along together. The bear had his paw on his shoulder. Of course, polar bears can get to be 14 feet tall. I mean, they're, they're pretty, well, not that much, but they get pretty big. And... Um, and a couple of times he almost was rescued, but people saw the bear with him and the natives, they ran off. And uh, so it's, it's quite a story. But um, anyway, the thing that I thought was really interesting is his mother had been praying for him and gave him that little Bible. It was just the Old Testament. But uh, there through the long winters, long, dark winters in the hold of that ship, he read through that uh, Bible many, many, many times. And that gave him the courage to hang in there. And friends, you know, the Bible still gives you faith and courage today. And we've got a free offer we don't often uh, mention, but if you'd like a book that talks, that will encourage your faith, it's a book called Who Do You Think You Are? And it's a book that was written especially dealing with the subject of faith and courage and stories of faith that I think will inspire you. We will send it to you free for calling and asking tonight. And again, I, this is the book pass that I got. I don't think we've offered it, um, at least not for a very long time, on Bible Answers Live. So this is a great free offer. book written by yourself called Who Do You Think You Are? And we'll send this to anyone who calls and asks. The number is 800-835-6747. That is the resource phone line. That's 800-835-6747. And you can ask for the book. It's called Who Do You Think You Are? We'll be happy to mail it to anyone here in North America. Uh, if you have a Bible question, our phone line here to the studio is 800-463-7297. Again, that's 800-463-7297. All right. We've got our first call yep. of this evening. We'll go to the phone lines. Martha is listening in Chico, California. Martha, welcome to the program. Thank you, pastors, for taking my call. Sure. Um, my, my question is, in Genesis 15, uh, the Lord had given Abraham a vision. And in the vision, you know, he laid out the three animals and the two birds. And in verse 12, it says, And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon him, and lo, and horror of great darkness. My question is in 17, and it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. Can you please tell me what the smoking furnace and the burning lamp represent? Yeah, I think this is talking about the, the Lord. Uh, first of all, when he, uh, he tells Abraham, your descendants will be afflicted 400 years. He's talking about the children of Israel in Egypt, that they'd go through this trial. He's making a covenant with Abraham by sacrifice. Those animals you sacrifice were all clean animals that they used 
passing between them meant this is a, a covenant uh, that God would not ever uh, violate. And the smoking furnace and burning lamp, that's talking about like the Shekinah, the glory of God passed between them. Uh, you remember the children of Israel were led out of Egypt by a pillar of fire. And uh, so this is like the presence of the Lord. Uh, Abraham, um, he sealed the covenant and God ratified the covenant and uh, promising that he would deliver Abraham's people, even though they went through this terrible trial of bondage and slavery. I think also, Pastor Doug, talking about the covenant um, back in Bible times, in the time of Abraham, I think one of the ways that they made a covenant was to divide two animals or take an animal and divide it in two pieces and then walk through it sounds a little kind of gross but they would walk through in between the two animals uh even with between the blood the blood would flow out and it was uh, a covenant saying if i don't if i'm not faithful to my word this in essence is what you can do to me I'm, i give my life on uh, my promise that i'm going to be faithful and it's a remarkable thing what it says after these animals were divided that this burning of pillow of fire, this fire came and passed through the animals as if God is saying, I will guarantee you even on my life that uh, this promise I'm going to fulfill. So it's a really incredible promise that God gave to Abraham. That's awesome. Yeah, I appreciate your question. God bless. We've got uh, Sherry listening in uh, Montana. Sherry, welcome to the program. Well, hello there. How are you? I hope things are good. We're doing well. Thank you for calling. And your question? Um, my question is, the um i hear i see a lot of people talking about the seven year tribulation time and i'm really confused and i even heard somebody say that um that with what trump has done in israel you know acknowledging jerusalem and things as the capital and stuff but they all talk about this seven-year tribulation, and I don't understand it. I just don't... Um... Yeah, let, well, let's talk about it for a minute. Uh, first of all, I don't see anywhere in the Bible where it says there will be a seven-year tribulation. This right, is... because nobody knows that they that time, that hour. So... <laughs> right. And there's the, the reason or the place where they get the idea, I need to be fair and say the reason they get the idea there's going to be a seven-year tribulation is there are several places in the Bible where it talks about three and a half years. You add two times three and a half, you can come up with seven. So that's one reason. The other reason is in Daniel chapter nine, you've got the 490 year prophecy. And in the 490 year prophecy, it talks about the last week or the last seven years in this prophecy. But that's all happened already. That, that prophecy points to the sacrifice of Christ and his covenant with his people, Israel, where he taught in person for three and a half years. And then he taught in another three and a half years through the apostles before the gospel went to the Gentiles with the stoning of Stephen. And so, but they take that seven years and they say, that's the tribulation that'll come at the end of time. There's no reason to separate that and do that. Uh, so we don't know how long the tribulation will last. I doubt it's seven years, because can you imagine for a moment, the seven last plagues are falling out. Seven years with the sun scorching men with great heat. Seven years of noisome plague. Seven years of the oceans and fresh water being blood. The plagues that fell on Egypt came in a matter of months, not seven years. So I don't think the world would survive. But and it's also my understanding is 
sure, things aren't going to get better. We're living in the last days, and nothing's going to get better. But how can I don't understand where some people can say, well, we can base things on seven years getting worse. Yeah. Because that that fine line, nobody knows that date, that time, that hour. I mean, we know he's coming back, but at the same time. We can't set can't, dates and predict times. No, no, Absolutely. no, no. So go ahead, Pastor Ross. You know, I, I was going to add, we do have a book called Anything But Secret, and it talks about the second coming of Christ. And Sherry, you might enjoy reading this, and, and we'll be happy to send it to you. Yes. Just call and ask. The number is 800-835-6747, and ask for the book. It's called Anything But Secret, and we'll get that in the mail, and we'll send it to you. If you're outside of North America and you'd like to read the book, just go to the Amazing Facts website, just amazingfacts.com. And you can look it up there in the little bar, the search uh, section, and you can read it for free online. Yeah. Now, we do believe there is going to be a tribulation. There's a great time of trouble, Jesus foretells. Uh, We believe he's going to save his people through that time. So we're not worried about it because God delivers us through tribulation. It doesn't always save us from it. But thank you. Appreciate your call, Sherry. We've got George listening in New Jersey. George, welcome to the program. Uh, good evening, pastors. How are you doing this week? Doing well. Um, well, I, I read a lot of conditional immortality literature, some from your ministry and some from other ministries. And I was surprised with uh, some from other ministries that indicate that, well, they believe in the destruction of the uh, of the unrighteous. But some of them actually believe that Satan and the beast and the false prophet, and I guess the the wicked angels, that they will actually be tormented forever, even though they believe in conditional immortality for the unsaved. And I I guess that's from that Revelation 20, I forget what verse it is, 10 or 11, where it talks about them being tormented, uh, whereas Revelation 14 doesn't say they're tormented forever for the unsaved. It says the smoke, I think, ascends forever. It's kind of worded a little bit differently, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But that Revelation 20 talks about that torment, and and that brings to mind, can spirits actually be annihilated because aren't angels spirits? That's what confuses me a little bit, whereas the unrighteous have bodies. That's pretty much it. Yeah, well, so can the question is, can spirits be uh, annihilated? And I would say in a word, God can do anything. And so if God can bring a spirit into existence, (laughs) I know that uh, down in the South, when mothers would discipline their children, they used to get, uh, they'd tease them, they'd say, I brought you into this world, I can take you out. And uh, God, he he brought, uh, you know, Lucifer, he was an unfallen angel, he brought these angels in, when the angels rebelled, he can certainly take them out of existence. That's, uh, you know, uh, the Lord can do that with a blink of an eye, it's no effort for him. And so... um, yeah, they're not, God is not going to immortalize evil angels so that they're floating around in the cosmos, they're burning for billions of years. Uh, you know, when it talks about that they'll be consumed, and by the way, that is Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, I think. The devil who deceived them was cast into a lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet are, and they'll be tormented day and night. And the, the phrase there, uh, forever and ever, I think it's from the word eon, and that word eon, it always means kind of an unspecified period of time. Basically, until they're gone is what it's saying. Because it says they are consumed, talks about them being devoured. And then is it Ezekiel, Pastor Ross, where it says to, Jesus said to the devil, uh, you'll be a terror and never shall you be anymore. So when God says never shall you be, 
it means you cease to exist and God is not going to uh, give the devil immortal life. He's going to be tormented according to what he deserves and consumed. I'm just looking at that verse, Pastor Doug. Um, Ezekiel 28, I think. Anyway, so, you know, we do have some literature on that, George, and you probably, it sounds like you've been reading our material. We've got the um, study guide called, Is the Devil in Charge of Hell? And there it, it describes uh, what his fate is going to be. And uh, yeah, it says, I'll bring forth a fire from the midst of thee, and it will devour thee, and I'll bring thee to ashes on the earth in the sight of them that behold thee. Thou shalt be a terror, and never shalt thou be any more. Thank you. We appreciate your call. I'm just looking. We do have a study guide that goes along with that. It's called, Did God Create a Devil? And we'll be able to send that out to anyone who calls right. and asks. Again, the number for that is just simply call 800-835-6747. And again, you can ask for the study guide, Did God Create a Devil? And all the Bible verses are there. Would you like to know God's plan for our broken world as revealed in Bible prophecy? Want practical, trusted solutions for your biggest challenges? Freshly updated and redesigned, Amazing Facts Bible Study Guides provide 27 Bible-based topical lessons with beautiful graphics and straightforward answers that are enlightening, encouraging, and easy to understand. Each study guide leads you step-by-step -step to real, relevant Bible answers for the most important questions in your life. How can I have better health and relationships? When and how will Jesus come again? And so much more. Don't leave the future to chance. Transform your life with truths from the Amazing Facts Bible Study Guides. Order your complete set today by visiting afbookstore.com or by calling 800-538-7275. Next caller that we have is Chris listening from Georgia. Chris, welcome to the program. Good evening. Yeah, I've been trying, guys, last time I didn't get it, but thank goodness now I got you guys. My question is in finding Proverbs uh, 11 through 12. It says, my son despised not the, ch the chastening of the Lord. And uh, in the correction, I'm like, is this got to do with temptation? Or I mean, how is the Lord correct his kids or ch chase them? That's my question. Good question. Uh, you know, God does chasten those he loves. And uh, he doesn't, it can be several things. One, it could be uh, circumstances that bring us into trials. It can be um, a physical suffering. It can be that, um, you know, we, we lose our peace and joy because we've taken our eyes off the Lord and to go through, I mean, God has got a thousand ways of kind of disciplining his children. Often he'll, uh, he knows exactly where you need it. When Isaiah confessed his sin to the Lord. He said, I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. So God took a coal and put it on his lips. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it didn't burn him, but it was his way of saying, I'll purge your lips. And uh, so, um, yeah, the, the Lord, you know, I've just seen uh, in my own life, uh, the Lord has disciplined me a lot of ways that uh, before I was a Christian, uh, I was a thief. And uh, I'd steal something and people would steal it from me. <laughs> and it was like I was getting, it's not that I believe in karma, but, you know, God was rewarding me according to what I deserved. The Bible says, with what measure you meet, it'll be measured to you. Uh, we do bad to other people. Bad often comes back. If you're merciful, God is merciful with you. And so there's a broad spectrum of ways that God might discipline his people to try and get their attention. 
you can see examples of this in the way he dealt with Israel too. Mm -hmm. Many times he'd lead them into difficult situations so they'd yeah. recognize their need of God. It could be a, a drought, it could mm -hmm. be an alien army, it could be a plague, several things happen. Mm -hmm. All right, well thanks for your call. Our next caller that we have is uh, Phil listening in New York. Phil, welcome to the program. Thanks. How are you guys doing tonight? Good. Glad to be able to talk about the Bible. Good. Glad to hear it. Yeah, my question is, do you think there is a connection between the, the reestablishment of national Israel and the second advent of Jesus? And if so, what is that connection? Good question. Um, you know, many people read the prophecy, and Pastor Ross might find this for us. I think it's it's Luke 17 or 21, and till the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled, Jerusalem will be trodden down by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And um, some have looked at that and said, well, when, you know, Jerusalem was sort of occupied by either the Crusaders or the Muslims for hundreds of years, and finally, after World War II, they were able to get their property back, and many have seen that as a historic landmark. Uh, some people have looked at this last year. Uh, Pastor Ross and I were in Israel the, on the 70th anniversary of their independence, and uh, they had just moved the capital to Jerusalem. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of, um, a lot of people were thinking that that was you know, a real landmark decision. But I don't see anywhere in the Bible where we can look at what's happened with Israel to set a date for the second coming. Do I think we're living in the last days? Yes, absolutely. Uh, I think that the, um, what's happened to Israel, in my mind, is a reminder of the validity of the Bible because there, there's no nation in the world that comes even close to the phenomenon of the Jews who have been dispossessed from their homeland three times in the days of Jacob, they had to leave, but they came back uh, after the Exodus. In the time of the Babylonians, they were carried away, but they came back. Then the Romans conquered them and they were dispersed. And then 1900 years later, they came back and they've remained a unique people. Every other nation, when they're conquered and they are dispersed, they intermarry, they evaporate, they are diluted, they lose their identity as a distinct people. The Jewish nation has remained distinct and I think it's because the scriptures have held them together. Uh, it's so, do I think it's prophetic? I think it's remarkable evidence that God has been watching over the descendants of Abraham. I don't think we can use it as a, um, a benchmark to set a time for Christ's coming. The verse you're referring to, Pastor Doug, Luke chapter 21, verse 24, speaks of the time of the Gentiles being fulfilled. Right, yeah. Well, we thank you very much. And we do have a book on spiritual Israel. We'll be happy to send you a free copy, Carl. The number to call for that is 800-835-6747. Oh, so that was Phil, rather. Phil. Yep. And again, the, just ask for the book called Spiritual Israel. We'll be happy to send that to anyone who calls and asks. Uh, we'll go to uh, Carol listening in Texas. Carol, welcome to the program. Hello. Hi, thank you for calling. Hi, Pastor Doug, Pastor Ross. So good to speak to you. Thank you for your ministry. It's a privilege. Okay, so... Um, I am calling on behalf of my son. We were having this discussion about Matthew 12:40, and he read somewhere um, that there's some contradiction between the account in Luke 23:55 and 56 and Mark 16 as to when the woman went to anoint Jesus' body. And also, um, the other part of that is that um, 
something about Leviticus, um, it being a seven days, a two Sabbaths, the, the weekly Sabbath and the seventh year Sabbath as well. Could you explain that, please? All right. Well, let's start with the first question. Uh, the first question springs from a common misunderstanding when people read in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And they say, well, if Jesus died on Friday, how could he be three days and three nights? Well, maybe he was part of three days in the grave, but not three nights. You know, this is not talking about the grave at all. This is the common mistake when it says the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth. Everyone automatically assumes that means the tomb. But where else in the Bible is the heart of the earth called the tomb? There is no verse. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, thy will be done in earth. We don't mean in the tomb. So what Jesus is saying here, as Jonah was in the belly of the fish, the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the clutches of the world. See, Jesus began suffering for our sins on Thursday night. He even told the disciples, now is the hour. In other words, you can start your stopwatch. He said, now is the hour. And he began to suffer for our sins Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night. He suffered both death and burial, rising Sunday morning. Three days and three nights, he was suffering the penalty for the sins of the world, which is suffering and death, not just the death. And that started Thursday night following the Last Supper when he sealed the covenant and he prayed, not my will, thy will be done. So people look at that and they think we need to move the time for the resurrection or the crucifixion. We don't have to move anything. Last Supper, Thursday night, Christ began to suffer for the sins of the world. He was betrayed. He told the disciples, wake up, now is the hour. Thursday night, Friday morning, he was tried, beaten, whipped, crucified. Friday afternoon, he died. He was buried. He rose Sunday morning for three days and three nights. That's what that verse is talking about. Heart of the earth does not mean the tomb. It means the clutches of the lost world. He was suffering in the hands of the devil. Now, does that make sense, Carol? Yes, Pastor. You know, I've got a book I'd like to send you that answers that. And I think it helps answer your other question. It's called The Sign of Jonah. We'll send that to you for free. And again, if you'd like to receive that, the number to call is 800-835-6747. And uh, just ask for the book called The Sign of Jonah. We'll be happy to put it in the mail and send it out to anyone in North America. If you're outside of the country, and I know we have people listening, Pastor Doug, on Facebook and in different countries because we get calls from people all over, even from Africa and other places. You can read the book by just going to the Amazing Facts website. And you can go to our free library and you can click on there. Uh, the Sign of Jonah, and you can read the book. It doesn't take too long to read, but it's got a lot of great information. Absolutely. Friends, I tell you, there has been no time better than now to tell people what the purpose of life is. Folks everywhere, when they look at what's going on in the world with the pandemic, with people being polarized politically, with the social unrest, with the economic instability, uh, folks are really worried about the future. What if something happens and the markets are stripped from food? And so folks are wondering, are we entering the last days? What does prophecy have to say? Now we're coming back with questions, so don't go far. Stay tuned. Bible Answers Live will return shortly. An international pandemic killing thousands, riots ripping communities apart, a global economic implosion. Many are wondering, 
Is this the end of the world? Few question the military, economic, and technological might of the United States. So if we really are facing the last days, if these worldwide catastrophes are really harbingers of the end, shouldn't we expect the United States to play a key role in the final events of Bible prophecy? The book of Revelation provides unmistakable clues. And to help you understand them, Amazing Facts is releasing America in Bible Prophecy. It's going to take you step by step in identifying the global forces at work in these last days. You might be surprised what the Bible really says. You owe it to yourself to find out. So get yourself a copy of America in Bible Prophecy. Millions of people believe that planet Earth is on the verge of some apocalypse that will plunge the world's cities into chaos. In response, thinking people everywhere are wondering if it might be a good time to locate their families outside of the congested metropolitan areas. In my new book, Heading for the Hills, A Beginner's Guide to Country Living, I do my best to provide a biblical balance. I'd like to share with you some of the crucial things you'll need to know before you head up for the hills. I'd also like to identify some of the practical things you look for in buying a piece of country land, how to develop water, power, and a garden, all while still seeking to save the lost. This book has some very valuable information for anybody that's ever considering country living. Order your copy of Heading for the Hills. Call 800-538-7275 or visit afbookstore.com. You're listening to Bible Answers Live, where every question answered provides a clearer picture of God and His plan to save you. So what are you waiting for? Get practical answers about the good book for a better life today. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time. To receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this evening's program, call 800-835-6747. Once again, that's 800-835-6747. Now, let's rejoin our hosts for more Bible Answers Live. Welcome back, friends. We are in the studio, Bible Answers Live. You want to join us online, just go to the Amazing Facts Facebook page or the Doug Batchelor Facebook page. And uh, we see some of you standing by, uh, Jerry, Gabriel, Roger, Sammy, Jamie. We're going to try and get to your questions. And so join us for this second half. We're going to do our best to answer any Bible question. Uh, we don't claim to know all the answers, but we've got our Bibles here, and we will search together. I'm Doug Batchelor. My name is John Ross, and we've got Jamie listening from Connecticut. Jamie, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me, and I really appreciate your ministry. Thank you. Um, I do have a question regarding 1 Timothy chapter 4, 1 through, verses 1 through 5. All right, can I read that for folks? Sure. Now the Spirit speaks expressly, saying, In the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to de deceiving spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from foods which God has created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing to be refused if it's received with thanksgiving, 
for it's sanctified by the word of God in prayer. So are you wondering, does that mean that every creature of God is good to eat? Yes, that's what the discussion was with a few other people. And I know to cross-reference scripture with scripture. (laughs) But, But the thing is, is I still had trouble trying to convey what these verses mean. Yeah, I can see where a lot of people get uh, kind of stuck on this. And let me help you with what some of the key words are here. First of all, the background. In the days of Paul, there was a big argument. You can find it in several of Paul's writings. It's in uh, 2 Corinthians. It's in Romans 14, where Jewish converts to Christianity, these were Jews who had become Christians, were telling the Gentile Christians you cannot eat the foods, meaning even the clean meats that were offered to uh, gods. They used to butcher the animals and they always offered the goat or the chicken, whatever it was, to some Roman or Greek god before they killed it. And the Jews said, now you're, you're participating in idolatry if you eat that. And Paul said, look, you didn't offer it to a god. Every creature of God is good, nothing to be refused. Now he's talking about which creatures? He said, it's okay for us to eat creatures that are created uh, in that way. But you read earlier in the verse, he says, this, uh, uh, this evil power will forbid to marry and command people to abstain from foods. Now, what foods? Foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who know and believe the truth. That means the word of God. And it says, that these creatures are sanctified by the word of God. What creatures are sanctified by the word of God? You can read in Leviticus, it says some are clean. And so Paul is not saying, you think about it here, is Paul saying that anything that crawls should be food for humans? No, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Clearly, Adam was a vegetarian. His God's original plan for man was not to kill anything. In heaven, there'll be no more death. And you ask any doctor, is it unhealthy for a Christian to eat certain foods? Are there some meats that have a lot more cholesterol than others? And of course, we know that. And d- don't be deceived. God is not mocked. People will reap what they sow. If you keep reaping or keep sowing cholesterol, you'll reap a heart attack. You can't mock God. No parent would take the excuse if their kids were on their way to school and they said, I'll make my own breakfast this morning and they go to the freezer and they pull out the Neapolitan ice cream and they start to make a big old banana split for breakfast and smother it with caramel and chocolate syrup and you say to your kids, what in the world are you doing? And they say, don't worry, mom and dad, I'm going to pray over it before I eat it and it will be sanctified. You would say that's ludicrous. Uh, So People cannot say, you can eat whatever you want, just pray over it. That's not what God is saying here. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense to me. And then I have one more question related to this sure. regarding the references that you just gave me. Where do I find a good cross-referencing book? For Well, if you want to find out what creatures are good, I think you can look where Leviticus 18, 11 uh, you'll have uh, the, the animals that are clean and unclean. Keep in mind, everybody's related to Noah. God made a distinction between the clean and the unclean animals for Noah and his family. It's not a Jewish law. And uh, it was considered an abomination to bring any unclean animal into the temple. And our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So, uh, 
You're looking for a good uh, concordance is probably the, the word. That's all the cross-references that you can look in, in different topics. And uh, there's some free concordances that's available right. online. The Young's concordance is good. Uh, the Strong's also is a concordance that can be used. So there's some, there's some good resources out there that you can, you can access. Well, thank you for your call, Jamie. We've got uh, Sammy listening from North Carolina. Sammy, welcome to the program. Hello, Pastor Doug. Hello, Pastor Ross. I have a question regarding slavery. Like in the Bible, mm-hmm. why does the Bible uh, don't have a clear statement to the slavery or Jesus, like he during his life on earth, he didn't make a clear statement? Well, I think he did. I think he did. I think that when Jesus said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, that I think is a pretty strong statement. I mean, I wouldn't want to be a slave. Why would I want to make someone else a slave? And Jesus said that we're to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Uh, you know, if you love somebody, you're not going to put them in bondage. Now, did God make provisions for slaves in the Bible? He did to protect them. So in the Bible, you find that um, slavery was ubiquitous all over the world. They had slaves and many of them were mistreated. And so God said in the Sabbath commandment, you're supposed to let everybody rest, including your slave. Uh, He said that there were laws that were to protect slaves. So uh, it wasn't that God was endorsing it. God does not endorse divorce. Jesus said, because of the hardness of your hearts, God made a provision for divorce. Wasn't his will. Uh, God does not endorse polygamy, but God had laws to protect wives if there were multiple wives in a marriage because everyone was doing it and he wanted to protect them. So he made laws. He wasn't endorsing it. God often made laws to um, accommodate, uh, you know, the, what was happening in the society, not because he was condoning it. Does that help, Sammy, answer your question? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Thank you. Yeah, God is love, and he, he's, God does, uh, doesn't endorse or support slavery. He thinks that uh, Jesus came, he said, you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. He wants us to be free, and he wants us to free each other. You know, we do have an interesting book there, Pastor Doug, in the New Testament. It's not very read very often, Philemon or Philemon, where Paul is writing uh, to someone who apparently at some point had a slave, but he was converted. And Paul writes and says, you know, receive him as a brother, not as a slave. And that's, uh, that's right. Philemon verse 16. There's only one chapter in the book. So uh, it is an good interesting. Good point. Good point. That's a good, there. good argument against slavery right there. We've got Roger listening in Colorado. Roger, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me, pastors. My question is very simple, and I'm being, I'm being challenged by this all the time. Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2. Okay. There is a gap, and I could not really find the gap, but I read it over and over, and I could see where people are calling it a gap. Are you saying where he, a gap between when he made the heaven and the earth and then when he actually started to form the earth? Yeah. Yeah, I I think that when you read Genesis, keep in mind the verses are not there. So first, let's get that out of the way. There were no verses in the original. Those were added 300 years after Christ. Uh, What you're reading is in the first words of the Bible is a sweeping headline where Moses is basically saying, I'm going to provide an inspired account for the origin of life on earth. In the beginning, God is the author. He created everything above, everything below. So that's the headline. Now, in the Jewish way of thinking, they often give the headline, then they back up and give the details. You'll notice even in Genesis, it explains 
how uh, God made the earth in six days, but then it backs up and it tells more about how God made woman. Gives more detail, but gives the headlines first. You see, actually, that uh, all through Genesis, where it'll give a big headline, then it'll back up and give the details. But there's no million year, billion year, hundred year gap between, you know, when God makes the heavens and the earth, and then uh, thousands of years go by before He actually starts creating the earth. I think, Pastor, just to add to that, this idea of there being some kind of a gap, or the six days of creation being long periods of time was really an attempt to try and harmonize some of the teachings of evolution with some of the teachings that you find in the Bible. And people were trying to read things into the scriptures that's just not there to try and justify a belief in evolution over long periods of time. Yeah, and one reason we know that these times are literal is because God makes the vegetation on the third day, but he doesn't make the sun, moon, and stars until the fourth day. So if those days are not literal days, then how does the vegetation survive for, you know, hundreds or thousands of years with no sunlight? So if these were uh, days that were contiguous 24-hour periods, everything in the language is making it say evening and morning, first day, second day, third day. And it's no problem for God. He can, he can build these things instantly. Thank you. Appreciate that, Roger. Thank you very much. You just cleared a lot of things up for me. Thank you. Praise God. Thanks for calling. Next caller that we have is uh, Andre listening from uh, New York. Andre, welcome to the program. Hi. Hello. Can you explain to me about the rapture? Because so many things are going on now, and uh, when you see these signs and so forth a little bit, I really don't know much, but, uh, you know, when you, you know, according to Matthew 24, Psalm Mark 13, yes. Ezekiel 38, you we, know that we're living in the times of now. Okay, sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I'm glad you called. Thank you for your question, Andrew. Now, the word rapture, and Pastor and I, Ross and I, we believe the Bible teaches that believers will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. You find that in First Thessalonians chapter 4. It says, The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise, and we who are alive and remain will be caught up. That's what the word rapture means, to be caught up. What we don't believe is a couple of things. One, some people believe the rapture is a secret, that folks are all going to be walking around the street and boof, all the Christians are going to disappear. Um, the Bible says the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. And that doesn't mean that people won't know when it happens. Because you read the rest of that verse, and this is Second Peter chapter 3, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens and the earth will pass away with a great noise. The elements will melt with fervent heat. The earth and the works therein will be burned up. So if everything's burned up and it's passing away with a great noise, the rapture is not a secret. Um, it says the wicked are destroyed by the brightness of his coming. And I think that's in Second Thessalonians, if I'm not mistaken. So... Um, we do believe it. We don't believe it's a secret. And we think that tribulation happens before the rapture. So there is going to be a great tribulation. A lot of good Christians out there believe the tribulation happens after the rapture. And some believe it happens in the middle of the rapture. Some believe it happens before the rapture. We believe that Christ said, he that endures to the end will be saved. That we're going to be here and there's something to endure. Christ said, you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And God tends to save his people through trials, not from them. And so uh, the rapture, we believe, takes place following 
a very serious time of trouble in the world. We do have a study guide. It's called The Ultimate Deliverance, and it talks about the second coming of Christ and signs of the second coming, as well as events leading up to that. We'll be happy to send the study guide out to anyone in North America. Just call and ask. It's called The Ultimate Deliverance. It's part of the Amazing Facts Study Guide series. And the number to call is 800-835-6747. And again, ask the study guide. It's called The Ultimate Deliverance. It's 800-835-6747. You're listening to Bible Answers Live. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time. Call us at 1-800-GOD-SAYS. For life-changing Christian resources, visit afbookstore.com. Did you know Amazing Facts has a free Bible school that you can do from the comfort of your own home? It includes 27 beautifully illustrated study lessons to aid in your study of God's Word. Sign up today for this free Bible study course by calling 1-844-215-7000. That's 1-844-215-7000. Next caller that we have is... um Gabriel, listening from um, Albuquerque, New Mexico. Gabriel, welcome to the program. Good evening, Pastor Doug and uh, Pastor Ross. Um, God bless you all at the Amazing Facts Organization. Thank you. And your question? Yes, it's in uh, regards to Luke 8, chapter, or chapter 8, 46, and Mark, chapter 6, 43, the resurrection of uh, Jairus' daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, my question is, well, why did it, why is it seemingly, um, or why did it seem that Jesus wanted to not to be known that this miracle was performed. You know, several times when Jesus healed somebody, he said, uh, you know, go and don't say anything about this because um, he knew that the opposition to his work of teaching and preaching was going to be exacerbated by his sharing, by people seeing the miracles. Some miracles were so uh, remarkable that, you know, he'd heal these blind people and he'd say, don't tell anybody. They'd go everywhere and tell everybody. Now, there was a couple times Jesus did a miracle, and he said, go tell people. When he was in the country of Decapolis, on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, there was a lot of Gentiles there. He wasn't going to get the same opposition that he would get in the land of Judea. So he healed this demoniac, and he said, go tell your friends what God has done for you. And, they, and he did. But when he'd do something, he'd be a little closer to Jerusalem. He'd say, look, don't say anything, because he knew the priests and the religious leaders were very jealous and very opposed to his popularity, and the more miracles he did, the more angry they became. And so he often would do a miracle and say, Shh, you know, don't say anything. You know, another thing, Pastor Doug, is some of the miracles involved a declaration by the priest that the person was healed. Mm-hmm. For example, the man was healed of leprosy. He needed to have the priest declare that he was yeah. healed so he could go back to his home and to his family. Knowing the prejudice that uh, the priests would have towards the work of Jesus, if this man came in and said, oh, Jesus healed me, they probably wouldn't have given a fair uh, report as to whether or not he's actually healed. So Jesus said, go straight to the priest first, get the declaration, don't tell anyone. However, as you get near the end of Christ's ministry, he doesn't say that, especially when it comes to the healing of Lazarus. Oh, yeah. He it's did a it. very public miracle. Of course, there were he religious leaders there. He knew his days were numbered there. then. Yep. <laughs> 
And, uh, yeah, he, he didn't. But can you imagine today, I, we've probably all seen it before, where somebody suddenly, they become the focus of some great notoriety. There's, they've done some heroic thing. They've done some <laughs> very bad thing. And they walk out their front door, and there's all these media trucks and satellites and reporters. And can you imagine today if Jesus, like, raised the dead, some documented meta? They'd have every reporter with a an agent on his front lawn. He couldn't go anywhere. You can't do anything. And it was ba- it was like that back then. He was performing miracles, and just everybody wanted to just follow him from place to place. He had to send the crowds away and get in a boat just to continue doing the ministry among his friends. So if he kept uh, aggravating his enemies, he knew they would really uh, hinder his work. All right. Well, thanks for your call, Gabriel. We've got uh, Tony listening in Bakersfield, California. Tony, welcome to the program. Well, thank you for having me. And your question. And my question is, um, it's Proverbs eight twenty-two, and I know we're not going to get all the way through 30, but uh, my question is, who's speaking there, and maybe what are they, who are they, maybe who are they speaking of, or themselves? Yeah. I, I just, uh, I, yeah, I heard an interpretation, and um, that this sounded didn't write to me, and I just wanted to clarify it. The whole chapter is Solomon is talking in poetic form about wisdom. He's talking about my fruit is better than gold. And that's verse 19. He's talking about wisdom. You go to the first verses in chapter eight. It's pretty clear there. He says, does wisdom cry out and understanding lift up her voice? She wisdom takes her stand on the top of the high hill. And the whole passage is talking about the value of wisdom. So when you get into verse 22, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way before his works of old. God, wisdom has always been with God. And so he means you know, back in the remote recesses of eternity, wisdom has always been there with God. And, uh, you know, that's why James says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And when you talk about the characteristics of the spirit that you find in Isaiah 11, verse 2, it identifies wisdom. So some people think that this is talking about the birth or creation of Jesus, but it's not. It's talking about the, what the, the, the attributes and the uh, beauties of wisdom. Thank you. Uh, no, just the interpretation that my nephew was getting, um, he, he was being told um, that, that he was a, a, an angel, that people are angels before the beginning of, um, that they're angels before they're humans and that they were there talking with God and then they became human. And it just was, I, I've, I've been studying and I just. Yeah, I know a particular church that teaches that. And yeah, that's pretty far-fetched from what it's really saying there. But uh, I appreciate that. Does that make sense, the answer? I, I thought it was wisdom, and I, I was kind of going with wisdom, and I just, yeah, it does help me, and I just wanted to try to help him out. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, if you read it in its context, it's, it's Solomon is talking about wisdom. He, the whole book of Proverbs is called sometimes the books of wisdom. And, uh, yeah, chapter 8 is concentrate. All right, we've got uh, Jerry listening in Texas. Jerry, welcome to the program. Hey, Pastor Ross, Pastor Doug, thanks for taking my call. Just a couple quick things before my question. I love that polar bear story tonight, and uh, you also talked, Pastor Ross, about a uh, uh, book of faith, and you also have a book called Beyond the Grave. Uh, and for next time, I want you guys to study Second Samuel 28. I have a few questions next week for you on that. All right. But my question today is the simple question, Pastor Ross. Uh, was there a Sabbath before God created the Sabbath, you know, 6,000 years ago, you know? And we know that there will be a Sabbath throughout eternity, but was there a Sabbath before? 
Okay, good question. Pastor Ross, you want to answer that? Well, you know, as far as the earth goes, the Bible says God created the earth in six days and then he rested on the seventh day and he sanctified the seventh day and he set it apart. And of course, the earth made new. Uh, There'll still be a Sabbath, as you read from the new heavens to the new earth. Uh, was there, though, a time where the angels gathered together in heaven prior to the creation of the earth to worship God? I don't think we have any reason to doubt that there was some particular time. But as far as earth goes, uh, the Sabbath is closely connected to creation. And uh, that's the origin for us to think back. God is the creator. He's the maker. And we find that, of course, in Genesis chapter 2. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that uh, that's a good answer. We we have a book on that we could talk about, um, The uh, Almost Forgotten Day. Yes, or, that's right. Or The <laughs> Lost Day of History. And uh, that's one of our study guides, yes. It's called The Lost Day of History. And, uh, Jerry, you might have seen this. Maybe you haven't. If you haven't, we'll be happy to send this to anyone who calls an ass. It's just called The Lost Day of History. It's one of our amazing facts study guides. And uh, just call and ask for that, and and we'll get that to you. Uh, next caller that we have is uh, Robert, listening from Washington. Robert, welcome to the program. Hey, you squeezed me in. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't want to leave you out. <laughs> and your question. Yeah, I was wondering about, uh, I understand, I've heard before about there's that there's just one true church. And this one true church, they can only baptize, that they're only allowed to baptize and because they've got the priesthood authority and supposedly that no one else is saved unless they do the baptizing thing. Can you explain that a little bit in two or three minutes? Well, yeah, we'll do our best. Um, first of all, I don't agree with that. I know there's some churches that teach that. You know, it's always it's always very convenient for every denomination to say only members of our church will be saved. And so if you want to be saved, you got to join our church. Kind of puts pressure on people not to go somewhere else and just buy their product. Um, one of the things that attracted me to the church that I'm now part of is they did not say we're the only ones that are being saved. They recognize that there'll be saved Christians in many other churches. And there's people who are baptized. Maybe they're baptized incorrectly. I mean, they might not be baptized, you know, exactly as the Bible says, or it may have been sprinkled and that's not, you know, it's not the only criteria. I think there's going to be a lot of people in heaven that maybe did not understand some things. In Acts chapter 30, I think it's verse, no, it's Acts 17, 30. God winks at their ignorance. So um, I do believe the Bible says one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There is one true Lord. There is one true faith and there's one correct way to baptize. And the Lord wants us to be a united people. But... Um, and baptism should be done by those who are authorized by the church. Uh, that So candidates for baptism can be, you know, evaluated that they are genuinely converted. John the Baptist said, bring forth fruits, meet for repentance. And I think there was some screening of those he baptized. So, it, you know, it's, a, it's appropriate to have the pastors or some uh, authorized people do the baptizing. Um, but... Uh, the idea that only one church, only those who are baptized in a particular denomination by a particular priesthood are going to be saved, I don't think it's taught in the Bible. You know, Pastor Doug, we do have a book. It's called Baptism. Is it really mm-hmm. necessary? And it deals with the subject of baptism. What does the Bible say about it? We'll be happy to send this to anyone who calls and asks. Again, that number is just 800-835-6747. 
And you can ask for the book. It's called Baptism, Is It Really Necessary? And we'll go ahead and get that in the mail. If you're outside of North America, as we mentioned before, uh, you can read it for free online by just going to the Amazing Facts website, amazingfacts.org or .com. You know, Pastor Doug, I see we do have some folks who are waiting for us to take their call, but we probably wouldn't do justice to take the call. We're looking at the clock and we have less than a minute and a half before um, we get rushed off the air. Listening friends, we'll look forward to studying God's Word with you next week. I hope you're blessed and you'll help uh, keep Amazing Facts on the air. Just click amazingfacts.org and you know what to do. God bless. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time. To take advantage of the offers you've heard on this broadcast, call us at 800-835-6747 or visit our website at amazingfacts.org. Tune in next time for more Bible Answers Live. Honest and accurate answers to your Bible questions. Written by the hand of God and spoken with His voice. Some words will never fade. Get Pastor Doug Batchelor's 12-part sermon series on the Ten Commandments by calling 800-538-7275 or visit afbookstore.com. Every year, 40,000 souls in North America end their own lives. Suicide is a terrible tragedy. And while it's difficult to talk about, we need to face it together as Christians. That's why in my new book, Choosing Life, I share the biblical perspective about suicide, answering some difficult questions about faith and salvation along the way, and offering practical tips that should help and encourage others. Get your copy at afbookstore.com or call 800-538-7275. Do you feel as though your world is spiraling out of control? Or perhaps new life challenges are frightening you more than they should? Are you sinking while you're thinking? Excessive worry can consume you, eating you from the inside out, resulting in sickness, insomnia, and paralyzing fear. It can also damage relationships, ruin opportunities, and yes, diminish your witness for the gospel. Worry affects everybody differently, but it's all driven by fear. So how can you overcome a world full of reasons to be anxious? I'd like to recommend for you my new book, Finding Peace in a World of Worry. You'll discover a lifeline to victory, a place where you can cast your cares upon Christ and experience a serenity that isn't subject to your circumstances. Get your copy of Pastor Doug's Finding Peace in a World of Worry today. Call 800-538-7275 or visit afbookstore.com.